0: Amen, amen, amen. All right, so we're in a series. We've been in a series the last three weeks, and it's kind of focused on this question, who do you say that I am? Jesus asking this question of his disciples and of of the crowds, and we've been kind of, even though we've been in a lot of different places, we've been trying to keep our focus on the gospel of Mark, and um, this is kind of where this question gets asked by Jesus in Mark 8. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? Which is, I think, is an important question that we're getting at in this series. Who did everyone think Jesus was? But then he goes on to maybe the more important question. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Which is the, which is the ultimate question for us, right? And it makes it very personal. Who do we say that Jesus is? And in the last couple of weeks, guys, if you missed these, these were great great messages. Uh, And I listened to the podcast, the sermons online of these messages. They were just amazing. Jesus, the teacher, Ryan kicked us off by talking about how Jesus was the ultimate rabbi. He was a rabbi different than the other rabbis. He broke expectations. He spoke with authority. He was in Capernaum speaking with authority. You know, this demonized man cried out. He cast out the demon. They were all amazed at that moment. They were even more amazed at the authority in which he spoke and taught. He was a rabbi and he still is our rabbi. He still is our teacher available to us to teach us in life. And Beth did an amazing job the next week talking about Jesus, the preacher, the prophet, coming behind John the Baptist, the prophet, and proclaiming the kingdom of God, announcing to everyone the good news, the kingdom has arrived, the good news that life can be different, you can live a different way of life. God is offering you a different way to live life. And he challenged the way life had been lived up to that point. Great message. And so we're going to go on this week. And you can kind of see both of these aspects of Jesus' ministry in this passage in Matthew 4. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues. It's the first thing, it's the first way that Matthew describes his ministry. Jesus would go into a town. He'd enter the synagogues. And he would be there as a rabbi teaching. So he would teach about the kingdom. And then it says, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And so he would step into his preacher role, his prophet role, his proclamation of the kingdom, telling the crowds that the kingdom has arrived. And if we continue in this passage, it says, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all uh, who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain. The demon possessed those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And so, this is the next kind of aspect of Jesus and who he was and what his ministry was. And the way I I kind of break down this verse is that the first part, the teaching and the preaching, that's the proclamation of the kingdom. And that's what we covered in the first two weeks. Jesus, the teacher, Jesus, the preacher, he would always show up in a space, and the first thing he would do is proclamation about the kingdom, teaching and preaching. But the next thing he would do is demonstration. He would say, I'm going to tell you about the kingdom. Now I'm going to show you the kingdom. So this is where we are, week one and two, the proclamation. Week three and four, the demonstration of the kingdom. And this is, this is what we see as Jesus the healer. This is going to be our focus this morning, Jesus the healer. In Mark 1, it says, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases, He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And so he would proclaim the kingdom, and then he would demonstrate the kingdom. And the way he would demonstrate the kingdom is that he would heal every disease and sickness, and he'd cast out demons. And what I think is funny, maybe funny isn't the right word, but the question is, who do you say that I am? You know who knew who he was? All the demons. (laughs) Like, the people didn't quite know who he was. The disciples were struggling to know who he was. But there are these evil things that knew exactly who he was and he wouldn't let them talk. So he'd cast them out and he'd say, you be quiet because I don't want people trusting in your word. I want them trusting in my word and I'll tell them who I am. But this kind of clues us in on this aspect of knowing about Jesus is different than knowing Jesus. Guys, the demons knew all about Jesus, but that's different than actually having an intimacy with Jesus where you know him. Guys, it's not enough There are people that have their PhDs in New Testament theology who are atheists. They know all about Jesus. Knowing about Jesus is not enough, guys. We have to know him, know him intimately, know him relationally in order to answer that question, who do you say that I am? It's not just information about him. It's knowing him in relationship with him. And part of that is getting to know not just Jesus, the teacher, we may feel comfortable with him, and not just Jesus, the preacher, we may feel comfortable with him, but we have to get to know this aspect of him as Jesus, the healer. So why was healing such a big part of Jesus' ministry? Well, this goes all the way back to the Old Testament, and some of the songs we sang this morning were actually kind of based off of that encounter that Moses had with the burn, you know, at the burning bush and God saying, I am that I am, and that this is holy ground. And if you go back to Exodus 15, as God is revealing himself to the people of Israel, one of the names that he uses to reveal himself, he says, I am the Lord who heals you. Like, there's a lot of names for God in the Old Testament, but one of the ways that he declares, he tries to get Israel to get to know him. Hey, Have you ever tried to help somebody get to know you by sharing a nickname? Have you ever done this? Where you're like, yeah, in college they used to call me this. And it kind of revealed an aspect of your character maybe that you weren't proud of. But it kind of reveals something about you. This is what God did throughout the whole Old Testament. He was trying to get Israel to get to know him. And one way he would do that is he would say, let me give you another name for me. And one of those was this, I am the Lord who heals you, Jehovah Rapha. It's in his character. It's in his DNA. It's at the very root of who God is to be a healer. In fact, in Psalms, the psalmist who wrote Psalm 103 says it this way, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He's praising the Lord, and he's saying, listen, don't forget the benefit of knowing this God. And then he begins to list the benefits of knowing this God. What are the first two things that he lists? Verse 3, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. So when the psalmist is, is declaring praises to God, he says, listen, listen, Don't forget the benefits of knowing this God. And you know the benefits? The first one, he forgives all your sins. It doesn't matter what you've done. He will forgive all sin. And the second one might surprise us. Heals all your diseases. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is the God who heals and so when Colossians 1.15 says the Son is the image of the invisible God, when Jesus came to say, I'm going to show you what God is like in the flesh, God in the flesh, I'm going to show you what the Father is like, he went around healing everyone. Why? Because that's what the Father's like. The Father is Jehovah Rapha. The Father is the God who heals. The Father is the one who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. So Jesus, when he shows up on the earth, he's like, one way I'm gonna show everyone what the Father is like is everyone that comes to me, I'm gonna heal them, every single one. Guys, do you know there was never a time that someone came to Jesus for healing and he goes, nah, not you. All these other ones, yes, but not you. Never do we hear that in the New Testament. Not once. He is the God who heals. So let's look at a situation where Jesus does this in front of everyone in Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum. Now remember, he had already been in Capernaum. He spoke in the synagogue. That demonized man cried out. Ryan talked about it two weeks ago. He cast out the demon. He he healed people at Capernaum. Then he left. He went around Galilee doing ministry. Then he came back to Capernaum. Capernaum was kind of his home base. When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such a large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So what does he do first? Proclamation. There's this crowd. He's in a house. You can picture it in your mind. He's in this house. It's made of stone walls, and the room, the living room area, gets filled out with people. So people are outside those walls, listening through the windows, surrounding this house, and Jesus is right at the center of the house, and he's teaching, he's preaching, he's proclaiming the kingdom. He's starting by preaching the word to them. And then this happens. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the man The mat was lying on. So this man, probably their friend or family member, was paralyzed. And so his his only means of income was probably begging. These four guys, friends or family members, they grab a corner of the mat, each of them, and they walk up to this house. Now, this house is surrounded by people. There's no way to get in. And in that time, roofs were made of, you know, like straw and mud and stuff you could dig through. So the crazy one of the four... you know, that one in your group that's like, hey, guys, we should do this. And everyone's like, that's a terrible idea. And then you do it. Whoever that one was, he had the idea. We're going to go through the roof, right? The, the Ryan Casey of the group. Got it. We're going to go through the roof. Okay. So they all grab a corner of the mat. Somehow they get up there, they dig through, and they lower this guy down. When we train our prayer team members back in the prayer room, and it's a prayer Sunday, so if you need prayer, you can go down the hall and receive prayer. During the training, that's how we talk about praying for people. When you pray for people, what you're doing is you're grabbing a corner of the mat. You're helping people get to the feet of Jesus. That's your role as the person praying for them. Jesus gets to be the healer, but you're the one that grabs the corner of the mat for them and loves them enough to dig through a roof and get them at the feet of Jesus, right? And not just on the prayer team, but this is what we do in link group. Someone comes to link group, burdened, heavy, struggling. What does the link group do? They grab a corner of the mat, and they get them to the feet of Jesus. That's what we do for each other in the body of Christ. When someone struggles to find their way to Jesus, we carry them to the feet of Jesus. We know Jesus has the answers, We know Jesus has the breakthrough. We know he is the healer. We know he's the teacher. We know he's the prophet. He's the man. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's everything, God in the flesh. We just need to get people there, right? You know, a lot of people are are waiting out there, and there's a huge crowd, and there's this wall that they can't get through. They feel like, I can't get to Jesus. There's no way to get to him. He feels distant. He feels apart from me. I don't know how to get there. And that's our job. And we say, hey, I've met this Jesus. Let me take you to him. And if we got to go over the wall, if we got to dig through the roof, that's what we're going to do to get you to Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he's talking about the four men that lowered this mat down. See, when we go and we cry out for healing for ourselves or for someone else, All throughout the Gospels, what we see is that there needs to be a conduit of that healing. And often the conduit of healing, just like electricity, needs a conduit. Right? You plug something into your wall. Well, there are wires that are bringing that electricity right to that wall that you can plug it in. There needs to be a conduit of power. The conduit of power that we see in the New Testament over and over and over again is love, compassion. And one of those conduits is faith. And so sometimes Jesus would heal people who had no faith at all because he was using his own faith. Jesus had enough faith for everyone. He prayed for them, they're healed. Some people came to Jesus and he he healed them and then he said this. He said, your faith healed you. What was he saying when he said that? That's amazing. What was he saying? He was saying, look, I could have used my faith. I have more than enough. But you came to me with such faith, I didn't have to use any of mine. You came. And the conduit of your healing was your faith. How powerful is that? And honestly, God doesn't care what, who has the faith in the room. He's looking for anyone. See, it wasn't the man who was paralyzed that had the faith in this instant. He's looking for any conduit. And the conduit in this case of the power of God, of the healing, was the faith of his friends. Jesus didn't look at the paralyzed man and say, hey, you don't have enough faith. I'm sorry. I can't heal you. No, he looked at his friends who were willing to dig a hole in the roof, and he said, their faith. He saw their faith, which released was a conduit of this healing. Now, when I say God needs a conduit to heal, what I mean is usually, Because lightning doesn't need a conduit, does it? Lightning will break straight through the air and come blasting down on somebody. So sometimes God does that too. Sometimes God doesn't need a conduit. He's just going to bring it. And he doesn't care if there's a conduit. But often what he's looking for is a conduit of faith or compassion or love to bring his power, his kingdom to earth. In this case, it was the guys holding the mat. Did you know that your faith for your friends could be a conduit of their healing? Even if they don't have any faith? Now, what does he say? When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, what's he about to say? Well, we all know what he's about to say. He's about to say, you're healed. He's a paralyzed man who came for healing. The men dug through the hole and dropped him down for healing. Jesus is a healer. They have enough faith. And Jesus pronounces... You're healed, right? Nope. That's not what he says. That's what everyone expected him to say. That's not at all what he says. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, first of all, he says, son, what is that? He's, he's a guy in his early 30s. I, this guy might have been older than him who was paralyzed, and he calls him son. Isn't that interesting? He's stepping into the authority of the Father. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Guys, do you understand how offensive this is? I need this to sink in how offensive Jesus is. Let's stop pretending Jesus is a nice guy. Can we? Let me help you. Somebody comes through that door. They heard that Horizon prays for healing and that people have gotten healed at Horizon. Hallelujah. So they come in in a wheelchair and they wheel up to the front. And they say, I'd like somebody to pray for, for my healing. Awesome. And then the first thing out of my mouth, I look down at him and I say, hey, listen, man, awesome. I'm so glad you're here. Your sins are forgiven. Does that seem offensive to you? It should. Hey, man, I know you want healing, but listen, all that sin in your life, um, Jesus forgave it. Thanks for coming. What? This is deeply offensive to everyone in the room for a lot of reasons. The guy gets lowered down for healing, and the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is, he's talking about his sins. Are you kidding me? What in the world are you doing, Jesus? By the way, it's a question we should ask about every paragraph of the New Testament, because this is the Jesus we serve. He is unpredictable, and he is offensive. He's not like the nice guy that... Sometimes he's painted out to be. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that, right? That's what everyone would be thinking. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who is this guy? He's a rabbi. He's forgiving sins. Only God can forgive sins. What's he talking about? It was deeply offensive for a lot of reasons. Least of all is that, I mean, he was claiming to be God, essentially, He called the the man's son, first of all, and then he forgave his sins. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? If we read too quickly past this, we'll miss some cool things. Number one, Jesus knew in his spirit. Where do you know things? Do you know them in your mind? Jesus knew in his spirit. Don't we know, like Western Christians, if you know something, where do you know it? In your mind. Jesus knew things in his spirit. What is that? Well, he knew in his spirit. That's called a word of knowledge. It's a gift talked about in 1 Corinthians 12. It's basically the Holy Spirit drops information into your heart, into your spirit, whatever you want to call it. He drops information about somebody else to you that you can't know in your head. You know it in your spirit. So in this moment, Jesus knows what those people are thinking about him. And where are they thinking it? They're thinking it in their minds, right? Because they're great Western Christians. No, where are these people thinking it? They're thinking it in their hearts. Isn't that interesting? They're thinking it in their hearts. In other words, unbelief starts in the heart. Guys, I think as Christians in the West, we've spent so much time trying to argue people into the kingdom through like rational argumentation of the mind because we think unbelief is them doubting things in their minds. But Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says when people are struggling with doubt, where they're struggling is in their heart. It's a heart issue, guys. we got to address the heart, not the mind. We think if we have enough like, arguments, it's going to clear things up in their mind, and then it's going to be all good. I- I've done this, guys. I've spent hours, hours. Listen, I have a master's degree in theology. I have spent hours theologically laying things out for people that after days and days of conversation, they turn around and go, nah, I just don't believe any of that. Why? Because I was trying to convince their mind. The issue was their heart. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe where? In your mind. This is how Western Christians have written this verse. If you believe in your mind. That's not what Scripture says. It says, If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your mind that you believe? Nope, it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. So listen, if you encounter something that hurts your heart, know there's a danger that it could affect your faith. Did you guys hear me on that? If you have a relational issue that damaged your heart, don't be surprised if now your faith starts to struggle. Why? Belief starts in the heart. And if something came at your heart, if something attacked your heart, if you got hurt, listen to me, if you got hurt in your heart, there's a potential danger there for unbelief to grow in that place, that wound in your heart. Hebrews 3.12 says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving mind, nope, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. I got to get better at this. Guys, we got to get better at this. We got to get better at addressing people's hearts. If you have a friend or family member that's dealing with, um, struggling with their faith, please don't try to argue them into the kingdom. Like, try to get to a heart connection because it's the heart. It's the heart that believes. All right. So Jesus now explains to everyone why he didn't say you are healed, and instead he said your sins are forgiven. Why, Jesus? Why did you say this to this man? And here's his answer. Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus does this all out of order. When the guy drops in, he should have said, you're healed. And just when he's supposed to say, your sins are forgiven, he says, hey, man, take your mat, get up, and go home. It's like backwards, like, Jesus, what are you doing? But I think he's trying to communicate a couple things to us this morning. Literally, that phrase, which is easier, and this this is why that colon is there. Because in the Greek, it's, which is with easier labor? In other words, he's not saying, which is easier to say? He's saying, which is easier for me to do? Do you get it? Which is with easier labor? And in other words, which is easier for me to do to declare forgiven over this guy or to declare a rise over this guy? But I want you to know that both are easy for me to do. Jesus looks at your life and he says, "Listen, do you think it's hard for me to forgive you?" It's not. It's easy right? Sometimes we feel like, man, we've sinned, and it's like big, and gosh, how's God ever going to forgive me? Jesus is saying, listen, is it easier for me to forgive you or to tell this man to get up? Some of us are cool. We get that we're forgiven, but we think, man, God, it's impossible for God to, to heal a paralyzed man, and it's not. It's just as easy for him to do both. It's just as easy God's words have creative and recreative power. So when God speaks the word forgiven over your life, you're forgiven. When God speaks the word healing over your body, it's healed. His words go out and they have creative and recreative power. When he spoke in Genesis, he brought the world into existence by his word. He spoke and it was creative. When he called Lazarus out of the tomb, he said, come on out, Lazarus. And Lazarus rose from the dead. His words have creative power. Guys, it's not harder for Jesus to heal the body than it is to heal the heart, and it's not harder for him to heal the heart than it is to heal the body. Which is harder for you to believe? Like some of you may have great faith that he can heal the body, but you, you're struggling to believe he can heal someone's heart, that they could change on the inside. Or maybe some of you believe that he can heal the heart. You've experienced him heal your heart, but you have struggled to believe he'll actually heal the body. And in this scene, Jesus is like, both are easy. One is not more difficult for me than the other. And they knew he could heal the body. They had seen him do it before in Capernaum, but they didn't yet realize he could heal the soul and the spirit. So which is the greater miracle? Which is the greater miracle? That you got forgiven of your sins or that he can tell a person who's paralyzed to get up and walk? Both. You see what I'm saying? Both are amazing that you can be washed clean on the inside, that you could be healed in your heart is an amazing miracle of God. And we can be healed in our body. The evidence that Jesus has authority to forgive sins is that the paralyzed man was miraculously healed. I think that's phenomenal. The evidence that the man was healed in his heart is that his body was healed. That, that's, I think what that's saying is that inner healing and physical healing are intimately connected. Like, they're so connected that you can't separate the two. In our Western mindset, we want to say inner healing, healing of the heart is over here, completely disconnected from medicine and the healing of the body over here. And Jesus is like, no, they are so interwoven that you can't separate the two. Inner healing and physical healing are connected. This is us, guys, body, soul, and spirit. And our soul is made up of the mind, will, and emotions. And we are somewhere in the middle. We're a whole self, but we have all these parts to us. And do you know that they all overlap? If something is going on with your heart, it could affect your body. If something is going on with your body, it could affect your heart. You know this, right? Something goes on in your relationships, and you can't sleep at night. Well, that's interesting. Something in my heart's going on, and my body reacts weird. I can't sleep. That's so strange. It's not strange. There's an overlap between your body and your spirit and your soul that this separation has to stop. And we have to know that Jesus really wants to deal with the whole person. 1 Thessalonians 5.3 says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. What does it mean to sanctify you through and through? To cleanse you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body, spirit, soul, and body, body, all of you, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, sometimes physical healing leads to inner healing. Guys, sometimes people deal with physical trauma, physical illness, maybe chronic pain, and they deal with it for so long that God heals their chronic pain and something happens inside of them. If any of you deal with chronic pain, you know that sometimes it can lead to despair and depression. It's an issue of the body, but it starts to affect the heart. And all of a sudden, God heals that in your body and suddenly something happens to your heart. Your heart is released. So sometimes God wants to heal your body because he wants to get at your heart and he knows the best way to get at your heart is to heal your body. Are you guys with me on this? And sometimes it's the reverse. Sometimes inner healing leads to physical healing. A lot of times when we pray for people and they come to us with a physical need, One of the first things we do is we start praying for their heart. Why? Because sometimes that inner stuff, that gunk in the heart, can actually be like a wall that prevents and inhibits physical healing. We've seen time and time again where someone will forgive that person for the first time, release that anger, release that jealousy, release the bitterness, surrender their heart to the Lord, and give that relationship over, and suddenly we pray for their body, and it's healed. Now, we prayed for their bodies seven times and didn't see anything happen. But once that gunk on the inside gets set free, suddenly it's like the movement of God can now move onto their body and heal their bodies. There's an amazing connection. And guys, I'll be honest, it's mysterious. We don't have all the answers. I can't pretend to explain all this to you and keep it in nice little boxes. That's just not who we are as humans. We're a complicated convergence of spirit, soul, and body. It is mysterious, but they are connected. Jesus, the healer, is interested in holistic healing. He wants our whole being healed. He wants all of us healed. He wants the inside healed. He wants the spirit healed. He wants the body healed. He wants all of it healed. He wants all of us whole. And here's some areas of the heart. If you want to take inventory of, like, hey, what's Mark talking about with inner healing? I mean, I know what he might be talking about with healing the body, but what, might be, what could go wrong in our hearts where we might need inner healing? We might need some things set free in here. Let me give you just six categories. And by categories, I mean families of sin or demonic mafia. Sin, here. can I give you a little secret? Sin and the demonic operate in families not unlike the mafia. They operate in gangs. And if you can imagine a city where this mob boss has this area of the city, and this mob boss has this area of the city, can you picture it? That's your heart. That's the territory, your inner self, that's the territory, and sin and the demonic function in families. Let me give you some of those families. Number one, anger, criticism, hate. Anger, criticism, hate, all that's the beginning. It's like a weed that gets dug in. And if we're not careful, it starts to sprout and grow into other things in that family, right? That mafia starts to spread in the city and expand its territory. If we allow anger to get root in our hearts, it starts becoming hate. It starts becoming racism. It starts becoming rage, You wonder why people rage on the road. You wonder why people can murder people. It didn't start there. It started here. With the seed of anger that was never dealt with. Number two, unforgiveness, resentment, and bitterness. It starts with unforgiveness and spreads to resentment. Then it spreads to bitterness. And this family of sin starts to spread even further. So we have hearts that are cold and hard and dead toward the people around us we need healing so for unforgiveness what's healing well it's learning to forgive for anger what's the healing well it's learning to love it's surrendering that anger to the lord and learning what love looks like number three fear anxiety and worry this is a whole nother mafia And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, yeah, I don't really deal with anger that much. I don't really deal with unforgiving. I can forgive people. Oh, fear. Yeah. I get really afraid. I get really anxious. I worry about a lot of things. And it can spread into our bodies. You know, we've actually seen and people with prayer ministry have found that a lot of people that deal with anger have lower back problems. And when they release the anger, their lower back gets healed. Now, I'm not saying if you have a lower back problem, you deal with anger. Hear me on that. But there's this like correlation. People that deal with fear and anxiety and worry often have like digestive issues. Again, if you have digestive issues, I'm not saying you deal with fear and worry, but I'm saying there's a correlation. Body affects soul, soul affects body. Fear, man, we need God's peace to come in, set us free from the fear. Number four, rejection, self rejection, and shame. Maybe we dealt with rejection early on in life, felt rejected. And that root gets in there. Now it feels like everyone around us rejects us. Every job we have rejects us. Every family member rejects us. Everything comes through the lens of rejection because at a very early age, we got rejected. And that seed of rejection is deep down. And then everything in life starts confirming it. And you know where this goes. Rejection and self-rejection and shame, that leads to guilt. That leads to condemnation. It leads to self-harm, cutting, Despair, suicide, like that's the train that this goes down. That's when that mafia boss starts spreading territory in your heart. We got to deal with it early so that that mob boss can't spread. Two more doubt, unbelief, and confusion. We already talked about this. Unbelief and doubt start in the heart. Confusion, this starts in the heart. We start rationalizing until we've gotten to a place where we completely lost our faith. Last one, lust, sexual immorality and perversion. This is another place that the mafia, listen, if we let the enemy have a foothold, I know a lot of us in here have struggled with pornography. That's the foothold. But I'm telling you, you can get free from that and you want to get free from that and, and I've experienced freedom from that and the reason you want to get free from that is because that stuff spreads. You know, we talk about a rape culture How do we get that? How do we have these college guys going around like treating women so poorly? How does that happen? How do we have these big guys in power that are just fueling human trafficking? How does that happen? It starts here. It doesn't start there. It starts here in the inner places of our heart, and we don't deal with the root of lust. Jesus came to heal all of it, guys. He came to heal our hearts. And Band-Aids, meaning better sin management, won't bring freedom. We can't just band-aid this stuff and think it's going to go away. Listen, Jesus didn't want you to manage your sin better. He wanted the sin in your heart to die, and then he wanted to resurrect something new in its place. Death and resurrection is what he wanted, not sin management. Are you hearing me on this? Death and resurrection is the gospel, not sin management. That's the gospel. That's what he came. That's Jesus, the healer in our hearts. And in its place, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, forgiveness, grace. And so what happens? He tells the man, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. They had already seen him heal people. When they said we've never seen anything like this, what they're saying is this is a a healer that heals the inside and the outside. We've never seen anything like that. A few weeks ago, we saw Jesus come to Capernaum and heal people. We didn't understand that he can heal the inside and the outside. He's the ultimate healer. He forgives sins. See, the man had to believe that he was forgiven. What if the man stayed on his mat Because he didn't believe he was forgiven. The question we have to answer is, was he forgiven? Jesus forgave him, right? He is forgiven. But what if he doesn't believe he's forgiven? Then what happens? Then he stays on his mat. Another way of saying it, the man had to trust that he was healed. Did Jesus heal the man from being paralyzed? Yes, but what if he never gives up from his mat? Is he healed? He's healed, Jesus healed him, but if he never gives up from his mat, then he lives on his mat the rest of his life. It doesn't matter that Jesus healed him. Jesus forgave you, but if you don't believe that you're forgiven, do you see what I'm saying here? He forgave all that sin, but if you don't believe it, then we stay on the mat. And we never get up and walk out the life that we're supposed to live. Jesus heals our heart, but if we don't believe it, we don't believe it it doesn't matter the evidence of his faith was that he tried to do what he couldn't do that was the evidence that the man actually believed that he was healed and he was forgiven he tried to do what he couldn't do there's no way a paralyzed man can get up from a mat can you imagine trying to get up from a mat after you've been paralyzed your whole life can you imagine what even trying would look like can you imagine the risk that is He had to actually try to do something that was impossible. And guys, the same is true in our hearts. If we believe we're forgiven, if we believe he's making us new on the inside, Jesus will say, you got to try to do something that's impossible. God, you know, I just, I deal with anger. I don't know. And and God's going to say, you got to try to do something that you think is impossible for you to do. Whatever it is, I deal with fear, I deal with lust. He's going to invite you to do something that's impossible for you to do. There are moments where, if we want to experience healing, physical and inner healing, we have to try to do what we cannot do. And in order to do this, we must believe what God says about us. It's not enough to believe what the gospel says about Jesus, we must also believe what the gospel says about who we are. We have to believe that we're new creations in Christ, we have to believe that the Holy Spirit in us is making us new. We have to believe that we are not our sin. We are not our sin. We are not our past. We actually have to believe that in order to try to do what we can't do. So as the worship team comes up, we'll close with just a few questions. First one is, do you believe Jesus is the healer? That he is the Jehovah Rapha? That he can heal your body? That he can heal your heart? That that thing you think is impossible to heal, Jesus can heal it? Do you believe that he wants to heal it? Number two, what do you need healed this morning? We have the prayer team's gonna be down in the sanctuary. If you need something healed in your insides or in your outsides or in your relationships or at your workplace or whatever it is, we invite you to go down the hall and receive prayer for healing. Are you willing to believe what God says about you? And are you willing to try to do what you cannot do? This is the step of faith I think God is calling us to believe. We can say, Jesus, I believe you're the healer. But it becomes real when we actually try to do what we can't do. That's when we say with our life, Jesus, I believe you're the healer. When we try to do what we can't do. Whether it's healing in our hearts or whether it's healing in our bodies. When we try to do what we can't do, that's when we actually proclaim, Jesus, you are the healer. Let's pray. Jesus, we we so need your help here We see from your word that you are the healer That you healed bodies, that you healed souls, that you healed spirits You healed hearts, you forgave sin And this morning we say, we believe, help us with our unbelief. We believe, Lord, help us with our unbelief. We believe you heal bodies, help us with our unbelief. We believe you heal hearts, help us with our unbelief. We believe that we are washed clean from our sin, but help us with our unbelief. And for anyone in here, that needs healing, Lord, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you'd come to the deep places of their heart, any broken place in their heart, Lord, that you'd just come and bring healing even now, that you'd begin to mend the wound, that deep wound even now. And in their bodies, Lord, if people are struggling in their bodies and need healing in their bodies, Lord, I just pray for healing right now. In Jesus' name, we declare, Jesus, you are the healer of bodies just release your healing now in Jesus' name and ask you to just bring healing to the the broken places of our body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We receive it in Jesus' name.